Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Blue Oval Podcast. I am Ben Weissel, and joining me, Garrett Zatlin. How's it going, man? Ben, it is so good to have you back. Uh, <laughs> now, I, I was saying with Mara, you know, she was doing so well that we may have to kick you off, but, uh, you know, I'm happy to have you back for the time being. Um, hopefully, for anyone listening to my audio, I apologize between my computer fan going off, the screaming kids outside, and the person uh, changing between Despacito and What Does the Fox Say on the <laughs> playlist. Uh, sorry if any of that uh, works their way into the mic today. So just a heads up for, for you, Ben, for everyone listening. I, I wouldn't mind a little uh, Despacito going on in the background. Um, but yeah, I I was uh, listening to you guys, and it, it was weird hearing the podcast and not being on it. Um, but yeah, I was starting to get a little nervous. Mara was doing so well. Um, we'll definitely have to have her on um, sometime and and uh, have the three of us talking, especially about uh, the women's side. I, it was very interesting kind of starting to think about cross country a little bit from the women's perspective. And, and we were talking a little bit before this, we, we almost wanted to do the same thing with the men this week, but we figured there's a few extra things, some uh, breaking news that was going on that we wanted to touch on. And hopefully next week we can kind of get into the men's cross country and, and start to really think about what's going to be going on this coming fall. Yeah, Ben, the one week that you're away, it feels like everything that was important happened within the past seven or eight days between transfers and news and, and Brown uh, coming back, which we'll talk about in, in a moment. But yeah, man, you, you hopped out of town and the world just absolutely, you know, just changed everything on us. Yeah, it's been a it's been a tumultuous week or so. That's that's for sure. Um, and yeah, I kind of checked out a little bit. So um, I enjoyed my vacation, but I, I very much enjoy being back. Um, a, a quick reminder before we get going to leave us an Apple Podcast five star rating and review. We did get a we did see a big increase um, over sixty ratings. Um, I think l- that was last week. We haven't seen any this week. Maybe they were just waiting to see if I would come back. Well, I'm back, so we need to have those ratings and reviews um, coming back as well. But like Garrett just mentioned, I think the biggest story that happened in the past week or so was the announcement that Brown was bringing back their track and field and cross-country teams after um, deciding to make their men's teams a club sport. There was a big pushback to that. Um, but they finally announced and Garrett, I got to admit, I really enjoyed your graphic that you put out. Um, <laughs> I'm back the, uh, ode to Michael Jordan's facts. Um, really, really enjoyed that touch, but I really enjoy even more the fact that Brown is going to have, uh, their men's cross country and track teams this coming fall. Um, and that all those athletes will have a chance to compete at the D one level this coming fall. Yeah, it was, it was such an amazing news. I remember where we received the tip coming in and I'm, I'm scrambling to contact names and call people. And I, I remember calling someone and she was like, how do you even know that? That literally just came out. So when, when we heard that it, it was about to come back, it was, it was uh, definitely quickly going through the grapevine. That's for sure. Um, just super happy for that team just so thrilled. They, they said, you know, I was talking to one person beforehand and, and she was saying, if they seriously think that they can, you know, 
kick out this team and, and we won't come back swinging. You know, that's, they got another thing coming, but uh, yeah, they were right. I'm, I'm super happy to, to have them back and um, shout out to, to all of those who, who worked with us to, to put together a few articles and um, all the sources there. It, it was great. And, and shout out to Michael Jordan for the graphic inspiration. I mean, it was, <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it's a great, great win for track and field in an era and a time where we don't usually get these wins, especially nowadays. So um, yeah, great win. Great win for the track and field community. It was always a puzzling decision uh, based off of puzzling logic uh, from the, the Brown administration. And I think it was really impressive to see how the whole entire track and field community kind of came together. Um, and there was just like everybody could see that this was the wrong move and everybody united work together to try to put pressure on the Brown uh, administration. And like you said, we don't have a lot of wins right now. We have programs that are um, getting dropped. We have programs that are uh, in fear of getting cut right now. Um, And to see what the the power and the effectiveness that a united community can have, um, I think it's really inspirational and, and really shows that um, like what kind of tight knit community we've kind of cultivated over the last uh, few decades with uh, distance and uh, distance running uh, from our perspective, but really track and field as a whole. Um, and to see that Brown decided to change their decision, which a lot like like you said, nowadays, there are a lot of people who want to admit that they were wrong and change their mind on something. Um, it was Truly, truly a great uh, moment for track and field in Brown University's uh, cross country and track and team. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's basically it's it's such a major win, like you said, for the track and field community. But I think it also kind of speaks to kind of current day events. You know, we're kind of going through this time where there are protests and there's you know fighting against racial inequity around the world. And to now kind of see an institution act on this act on an instance where, you know, it was very clear where racial inequality, you know, the Brown team, the Brown track and field team was the most socioeconomically diverse team on the Brown program, you know, within Brown athletics. And to kind of see, you know, an institution taking change, you know, or at least taking action to make change is very encouraging. Um, now, you know, I have to wonder, you know, wow, did all of the world events also kind of lead into this decision? Because it was very clear that, you know, Brown was really kind of, you know, how, how do I put this? They were kind of leaning on the idea that this move, this move for excellence was going to be, you know, for a greater equality and for greater, you know, racial equity, but it was quite the opposite. So um, just kind of interesting to see how all these events kind of coincided um, like you said, it, it's a great win. And uh, at the end of the day, the the men of Brown track and field can go back to the university and know that they can still compete in the NCAA. And uh, it's it's just, you know, in a time of, you know, where there's a pandemic happening for the past three months and that's been living over our heads. It's just nice to kind of have this one like, yes, we, we did it. You know, I don't know if, if we did it necessarily, but um, just, you know, the running community, like you mentioned, did it. And uh, and that was great. Yeah, I mean, Brown really kind of opened themselves up to, I think, a lot of criticism by saying that this was a move to improve diversity when the track team 
um, was, like you said, one of the most diverse teams that Brown had. Um, and so if you're looking to improve upon diversity, you don't cut the team that's doing that successfully. Um, and obviously there's protests and um, many other things going on right now that um, are looking to fight battles that are, are much bigger than just um, running. But it w- it, it's exciting, like you said, to see us take that first step and get that maybe a smaller victory in the whole grand scheme of things um, where this kind of uh, movement to have racial equality um, continue can continue to pick up steam um, and running I think is a great place to start because it's always been such an, a, a, an, ex, an accepting community um, and one that really promotes a lot of uh, great values that I think we're trying to see in the world as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not only that, you know, like, you know, all that aside, but, you know, now it just, just, you know, when I think about this from a, from a student, you know, student athlete perspective, you know, can you imagine just the stress now off your shoulders of not yeah. having to worry about transferring? Cause I, I'll tell you, I talked to coaches and they're like, dude, there are a ton of athletes in the transfer portal. They're all from Brown. And, and I, yeah, I don't, I don't blame them. Um, you know, if, if I was in a position where, you know, my life was, you know, changing or I couldn't compete for X amount of years, I would probably go hop in the portal too. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great that it just from the student athlete perspective, their lives don't need to be changed in any dramatic sense. They don't need to go find a new school, especially so late, you know, as we're in what we're now today's June 15th when we're recording. So um, yeah, just good for them. Good for the athletes, uh, a small step forward, but uh, a good one for that matter. Absolutely. And like you said, we've, we've had a lot of change going on. So when, uh, between the pandemic and other things in the world that having um, these athletes be able to go back to the school that they've always known is huge. Um, and likewise, I think um, from a national perspective, we don't really want to see change this fall. And we got I, I don't know if it's good news, but it's, it seems like positive news that the NCAA announced that they are expecting fall championships to go forward as expected. Now, this isn't something that we should get carried away with. We, we've talked about this um, outside of the podcast, but it is, uh, I think, good news, positive news um, that the NCAA is still kind of planning to have things go ahead as normal as as things stand currently. Yeah, and, and I think you were very delicate and very precise <laughs> in the way you phrased that. And I think that's all very fair. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I want to, you know, I think it's important to realize that the NCAA sent out a, a survey to schools and they said, what are your thoughts? And ultimately it came back to saying, yes, let's have fall championships, meaning that, whoop, dropped my phone there, meaning that the NCAA um, is going to host fall championships, but we don't know what other schools are going to do. If a school decides to pull out and just say, hey, we're not going to have any athletics, then chances are another school may follow and then maybe a conference, then other schools may follow. It There is a potential domino effect, right? I mean, the NCAA is, is wants to have revenue for as much as they can. So they're going to wait and have the other schools make you know, the first move before, you know, the NCAA officially, you know, cancels the track meet or, or whatever the cross country meet. So an encouraging move that they're not making any 
you know, cuts yet or they're not canceling anything yet, but it's just something to remain cautious, uh, you know, yeah, cautiously optimistic about, um, I, I think is probably the right, right phrase. Well, it was interesting listening to you and Mara kind of talk about um, qualifying for nationals this coming fall for certain teams um, because there might not be teams that really are traveling very much. And with the way that the schedule is, has been set up in, in years past, you have these really big meets that most of the Colos points are earned through. And if you don't go to those meets, you really limit the chances that you give yourself at earning Colos points and qualifying uh, as an at-large bid. And I think uh, it's something to consider that even if we do have these fall championships going uh, on as expected, it'll be fascinating to see what individual schools decide in terms of travel. Um, I mean, I what I kind of am predicting is I think we'll see a lot of a lot more local meets. We won't necessarily see like Nutty Comb be this huge meet with teams flying in from across the country. Um, is that kind of what you're expecting, Garrett? And then what what are the like, I don't know, the consequences of that if that does come true? Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard already from there's there's a couple schools that are already saying, hey, you're not going to be staying overnight in a hotel. You're not going to be. Um, you know, flying, you know, to X, Y, Z, um, it's going to have to be all within a driving distance. You're all going to have to do it within a day. And that's just from, from a few smaller schools that I've heard, but nothing large, but that creates a problem geographically. So, you know, like I think we mentioned with say Oregon, you know, where, you know, they've got Washington and Boise state maybe, you know, and I don't, I don't even know how far Boise state would be from, from Oregon. That still sounds like a hike. So, um, Yeah, I mean, it's, it becomes an issue there from a traveling standpoint. It was like, well, if you can't fly, then who are you going to race? How are you going to qualify? And it's a whole other thing that I really just don't want to think about because, you know, it, it stresses me out from a, like, from a COLA standpoint. It's like, oh my gosh, how would we, how would we calculate that? It would be borderline impossible. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens at the very least. The idea that there could be a cross-country season is wildly exciting. Um, and truthfully, I almost kind of invite the idea that, you know, maybe of having smaller meets, maybe having, you know, more, I don't know if dual meets, but, you know, fields that are only just a few teams, you know, big. I think that would allow for a lot more subjectivity and analysis for our sport. Right. Um, because, you know, you go to Nuttycomb and Pre-Nats and Joe Piani or, or wherever, you go to those meets and ultimately you ultimately you walk away knowing where teams rank in the hierarchy. So, you know, I think smaller meets would kind of create this more uh kind of more subjective analytical side of the sport that we haven't really had at at least the extent that I would think we would have it before. Yeah, it would be kind of more traditional, I think, where we would we would see these teams really only matching up at the national meet um, where you're, you're seeing like Oregon um, for example, racing Notre Dame um, for the first time at nationals rather than meeting uh, during the regular season. And like you said, that, that brings a lot of subjectivity. It it also brings a a lot of uncertainty um, 
where we get to ask, ask these different questions on who's better than who and, and so on and so forth. But I, I, I think the Colos points is the, the real interesting one um, because I think you'll see a lot of these regional regions that are very used to sending five or six teams out to nationals suddenly being like, I, I don't know if that's going to be the same same way as it normally is. Are we? I, I feel like it's very possible that we could see the regions um, being very different across the board, just because there aren't going to be these opportunities for teams to go race a team like Texas, for example, and get, pick up right. a Colos point because they know that they'll pro- Texas will probably qualify for nationals um, out of the South Central region. It, it's just. Like you said, it, it kind of hurts your brain to think about, but it's a very fascinating thing because we've we've gotten used to the same thing every every year um, for the last decade or so, um, and this would be quite the outlier. Oh, it absolutely would. Yeah, it would be game changing. I've spoken to a coach here or there, and I remember talking to one coach saying, you know, the the Colos qualifying, you know, it wouldn't even be Colos. The qualifying process for the national meet could was rumored to be or could theoretically be changed this year. Now, I, that's just rumors that's, you know, no one really knows what we're doing yet, but the idea is floating out there at the very least. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, you know, who knows? I think, you know, I'm probably just as much in the know as, as probably those who make the decisions, which is no one knows, but, um, but we'll see. We'll, we'll figure it out. Um, at the very least, I, I'm, I'm more optimistic that we will have a cross country season than not. And uh, frankly, like, like we said, we'll take anyone that we can get right now. Yeah. And that's, that's a good place to be where, where we're optimistic that a season will happen because ultimately whatever happens is going to ha- like in terms of how the season plays out is going to happen. But as long as there's running for uh, me to compete in and for us to analyze, we will, we will all be very, very happy. Um, but speaking of athletes, uh, who are looking to race this coming fall, we had a few transfers. Um, most notably we had Abby Nichols headed from Ohio state to Colorado. She has a cross country eligibility in two outdoor seasons. Um, the former Buckeye was, uh, 41st at nationals this past fall owns a PR PRs of 441. 926 in 1556 and won the Big Ten 2019 outdoor title in the 5K. That was a mouthful, and that's because she's really, really good. Huge pickup for the Buffaloes. Absolutely. Yeah, great pickup and really a key one. You look back at what the Colorado Buffaloes lost, you know, they'd lose Sage Hertz on Tabor Scholl. But Scholl kind of struggled towards the tail end of last season. And Hertz, I think, was only, what, 35th at the national meet uh, last year. So, you know, considering that Colorado kind of brings back a bulk of their key scorers, um, you know, they will hopefully have Emily Venters healthy by then. They may have Emily Covert running after she was redshirted last year. Um, you know, you've got maybe, gosh, I don't even know. You've got Is Rachel MacArthur still. Uh, Rachel MacArthur still there. Yeah, she's she's there as well. Holly Bent, uh, Annie Hill. So there, there's a few names there that are, you know, really talented that can, you know, when you put them together with Nichols leading the way, that's a really solid group, you know? And now do I expect them to be on the podium? Yeah, maybe not quite, but 
I would think that, hey, they can probably do better than their 10th place finish last year because, you know, yes, Herta, you know, losing Herta is, is going to, well, hurt. hurt. Uh, yeah. Well, not, not really a pun, but, you know, oh, well. Um, but the idea of adding Nichols in her place, it, it really kind of fits. It, it kind of plugs a lot of the scoring potency there. So um, a really key pickup for Colorado. They'll get a, a key veteran who has been at the national stage before and who has succeeded on the national stage before. Yeah, I, I mean, I had forgotten that Colorado has covert inventors kind of waiting in the wings um, because they, we just didn't see them at all this past year, really. Um, and if those two are back and you add them to, you add Nichols to that group now, um, you got really like three almost new runners that you're introducing to your lineup. Um, that includes, like you said, um, Holly Bent, who had a really good, uh, season this past year, uh, breakout season in a lot of respects. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Buffalo, what the Buffaloes do because, Last year seemed like they were just trying to find their way after some dominant years. Um, and it, I, I'm not really sure where they are in the rebuilding process, but I, it feels like they're, like you said, they're trending upward and moving closer to that podium position. Well, maybe not a favorite. They're at least moving in that direction. Absolutely. Yeah. So who knows? I think we ranked them um, number one last year, um, last right. summer, the cross country season didn't really pan out that way. There was a few things that they had to adjust, but ultimately, um, oh no, no, did we? No, say we Colorado? picked Arkansas. We said Arkansas. Yes. I was going to say, never mind. We picked Arkansas. I was going. To, I was like, wait, did, did we? We, we were one for two last year. We had Stanford uh, for the men, and then we had Arkansas for the women. So wolf on Stanford, man. Oof. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they were still good, but just not quite as good. Anyways, um, yeah. So I, I do think Colorado will be better. Uh, long story short. Yeah, agreed. Uh, another big pickup that we saw this past week was Kieran Tuntavate, another graduate transfer um, going from Harvard to Texas, another Ivy League transfer. Unfortunately, he only has outdoor eligibility, but this is a guy who broke out in a huge way this past year, ran 357 and 749 this past indoor season, and also holds PRs of 1357 and 2845. Really interesting, I think, decision for him to head uh, to Texas. But I, I think, um, especially if Sam Worley is back and healthy um, by the outdoor season, they could have a really dynamic duo in that kind of middle distance to 5K range come the next spring. You know, I, I pulled up Tuntavante's T-First profile on my computer, and then my fan on my computer it just immediately started getting cranked <laughs> up because that's how you know, I, that's how insane his his resume is. I mean, it's just the three fifty seven mile, the seven forty nine three k, the the twenty eight forty five ten k. I mean, the range like you don't see that kind of range from mile to ten k. It's just it's really rare. Uh, it just doesn't happen. And I think he's going to go. You know, as you mentioned to a to a Texas program that has had a lot of success. Sam Worley, as you mentioned, um, Alex Rogers, another guy who was an outstanding mile 3K specialist. And he's, he's now off uh, training with Reebok. So I, I think this is a really, not definitely not the, the team that I would have said to Devante would go to, um, but I think it's a really uniquely good fit. Um, a fit that, you know, you've looked at what um, Coach Watson has done there. And I can't help but say, yeah, I think this probably is going to work out. Um, it, you know, it's only for one outdoor track season. 
so we'll, we'll see how it goes. But um, yeah, I, I like what we saw here, and I, you know, I'm I'm excited to see him it, it just in a Texas uniform competing. I think I think they compete out west in the West Region, yes. don't they? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting seeing Tune Devonte move over to the West Region, seeing if you know how he handles the West preliminaries and things like that. You know what he'll opt to do. Uh, whether it be the 5K, 10K, maybe he'll drop down to the 15 because it's 1,500 times like four flat, but it's obviously, it can always be so much faster than that. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. So I, I know there have been kind of talks about a few top Ivy League talents, kind of like unsure what they were going to do. He wanted to go pro, but ultimately I, I think that, you know, he came back to a good decision of coming back, waiting a year, and, and then, you know, waiting until everything settles down before kind of pursuing a post-collegiate career. So. Yeah, and from that aspect, that's kind of what I wanted to touch on. This is it's a good opportunity for him to kind of uh, prove that that this last winter wasn't a fluke, and to give him a chance to earn those uh, All American finishes um, this coming year that he probably would have earned this past winter, and and really elevate him um, to a different level, and and in terms of. Uh, popularity and no- and notoriety when it comes to sponsors, and there really isn't many uh, bigger schools than Texas um, when it comes to popularity. So uh, from that aspect um, alone, I think that's it, it's a good decision for him as he tries to uh, prepare himself for his next steps. Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, I, I, you kind of said everything that I was going to say pretty much about his <laughs> next steps. I mean, but yeah, o- overall, it's a good move. And it kind of shows you kind of what the Ivy League has done, you know, kind of the, the chain, the chain effect of saying, hey, we're only going to allow you to compete here for four years. And when you have an issue like a, you know, a global pandemic running, you know, rampant throughout the country and them keeping that rule of saying, hey, you could only compete in the Ivy League for four years. We've now seen a plethora of Ivy League talents head out the door between Siegler and Lundy and I think like Jane Miller uh, from Yale and the Daily uh, Twins, Daily Twins, and Steve Newmeyer, and like the list goes on and on and on, and um, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, like how you see the, the ripple effect of that happening there. But uh, best of luck to Tuntavante. I'm I'm so excited that he's still in the NCAA for another year. He's gonna be fun to watch. Yeah, I can't I can't wait to see him in, a, in an NCAA final um, like we would have seen this past winter because he was certainly one of the biggest wild cards going into nationals this past year. Um, but last up on our transfer list, we had AJ Ernst from Virginia headed to Providence. He has cross country eligibility as well as outdoor eligibility. A 359, 805 guy. He was 20th at ACCs this past fall and 11th at the Southeast Regional. A very interesting pickup for Providence. Um, I think this one's gone under the radar a little bit, but Ernst, a, a solid talent and one as uh, proven by what we just uh, listed right there, uh, has plenty of range. He can contribute on the grass and uh, in the middle distances on the track, which I think it will prove to be very uh, important for Providence this coming year. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think, you know, Ernst will certainly help the team. I don't really see the Friars being kind of nationally competitive with him on their team during cross country. I mean, they'll certainly be better, but I still think they need to make a few other moves and a few other key pickups there. But regardless, it's a great pickup either way. You know, Ernst is a, is a superb talent. He's going back to uh, the Northeastern portion where I think he's from Massachusetts. Um, and I'm 
So disappointed, though, that he doesn't have indoor track eligibility because this guy was, uh, ran his 359-mile PR at Boston, uh, Boston's indoor track, which is a meet that, or I'm sorry, a track that Providence competes at pretty often. So at first, when he moved there, I was like, hey, you know what? He's going to go race on the track at Boston, the, the track that he's had a ton of success on. He's going to race there multiple times next indoor season. And then I realized, oh, he doesn't have indoor track eligibility. So a little disappointed there. But yeah, this is a guy who could potentially sneak out of the Northeast region during cross country, finishing 11th in the Southeast region. Um, I would say that probably warrants an individual qualifying you know, run when you look at the Northeast region, just because I think the Northeast region in cross country is probably not as strong as the Southeast. So um, we'll see what happens, but yeah, I, I think he's going to be a major player in, in the big East and uh, you know, probably someone who's a potential, uh, excuse me, a potential national qualifier in cross country. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. The, the Southeast regional is uh, was very, very impressive this past year. Um, and I think, headed up north to the northeast he'll have a great chance at getting out to nationals but i, I think that about wraps it up for our, our transfers so be a little bit of a shorter pod but um we do have uh cross country uh right ahead of us we're coming up to it very quickly um and i will be very excited to start chatting about that with you hopefully next week unless we have the world kind of Uh, come apart again with all kinds of breaking news. Um, I think we will be ready to start talking about the men's cross country season this coming fall. Yep, absolutely. And for those who maybe don't know on the stridereport.com, we released uh, the two part men's way too early cross country preview. So you can check that out there. Um, Ben and I will touch on some of that. We'll probably go back within the next week or two and do a pod around that. But yeah, a, a lot going on there, a lot going on in the site. We're releasing our women's way too early preview right now. I totally didn't realize that we were going to have that many writers contribute uh, <laughs> to that article. I posted it today and I'm like, this is twice as long as the women, that is the men's uh, article. So, um, but hey, the more the merrier, we'll take more content. Um, and then uh, hang tight. I think for those who maybe missed last week's episode of the podcast, the recruit rankings, we're probably going to be pushing back later this year. We're still deciding how we want to do that, um, you know, how we want to do that timeline. But, you know, waiting until rosters are, are filled out and completed. So um, we're waiting to do that. And then uh, buckle up, probably July, Ben. I'd say, I don't know when in July, but probably sometime in July, XC Top 50 rankings. They're coming. Can't, can't wait. So can't excited. Wait. Can't wait. Bart Scott, shout out to the Jets. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, like Garrett said, we have a lot of stuff kind of coming up here in the future, but if you guys have any, uh, insights or thoughts, um, about something that you would like us to look into, we're always interested in hearing from you guys, um, any new ideas, um, for content, we're always open to that and trying to give you guys what you guys want to see out of the stride report. Um, you guys have been super loyal to us. Um, and you guys could probably do to give us a few, uh, more Apple podcasts, five-star ratings and review, but, um, we'll let you off the hook, uh, this week until next week. Um, when I expect to see at least like 64, 65, when I check my podcast app. Nope. We're going to 100. We're going, (laughs) we're going all out, man. 
Hey, this is this is the, everyone just just go a hundred this week. We're going all in. We've asked nicely. Wow. We're going all in. Well, I feel like we have to do something. Like if if we hit a hundred in a week, I I feel like that that warrants some oh, kind man. of response from us. Uh, <laughs> I I don't know what it would be because I don't I can't think of anything that would be good enough to match actually hitting a hundred in a week. I just don't I don't I can't fathom what would be an appropriate response to that. Well, why do they? Uh, everybody can leave their rating and review and let us know what we should do. Should yes. that actually happen? <laughs> yes, let us know what we should do uh, if we hit 100 reviews within a week, though. Within yes. a week. So if you're, and I trust me, if everyone's like, you guys don't get that many listeners. Yes, we do. I promise we do. Yes, All right, so we do. Yeah, go go go, uh, go leave uh, the rate and review, and we'll see what happens. Yes, absolutely. Well, Garrett, until next week when we might have th- certain things to do, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you.